All right, here's your first point, which was the middle point from last week's message, but I'm going to flesh it out now this time because of the why. We're going to look at the what of it. The church membership, here's your first point, provides clarity for our unity. One of the things that church membership does is it provides clarity for our unity. You can't be united. And this is a real common principle today is people say, hey, we just all have to get along. Everyone's just got to be united. If we would just love one another and just be united, it would solve every issue. That's totally impossible because you cannot be united with someone that has diametrically opposing views to you. If, if you want to be united with a, a, a child molester, can you just let them into your home and have freedom with your kids however you want? No, you can't be united with someone whose views are diametrically opposed to yours. You have to define them somehow. And so that's what the Bible does and that's what church membership does is help take a whole lot of views that are packed in a very big book that a lot of people are unfamiliar with when they first come into the church and helps clarify them and simplify them in such a way that we can be on the same page as a body early on in that process. So let's look at a couple passages that show why this principle is important. Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at all the words he uses about unity, same mind, same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So he's saying of all these other things that are part of being in the church, they all aim at this idea of being unified, having the same thoughts on these issues, something very important. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says this to the Corinthian church, that if you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, you know that that church had a whole bunch of divisions in it. In fact, that's how Paul started out. They had divisions of, of, behind people they were following. They had divisions over how the use of spiritual gifts and how they should practice their worship and their services. And so Paul is addressing that because it's so important. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And the whole book of 1 Corinthians is Paul laying out for them, here's the things you need to be united about. He was clarifying that for them so they understood. The last passage is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, talking about the church in a holistic way of Jesus and what he gave to the church. It says he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So unity, attaining to unity is attaining to maturity, mature manhood or that would be womanhood, either one of them, just maturity as a Christian involves being unified and understanding what we're unifying about. So what membership is meant to accomplish is bring clarity to what we will believe and what we won't believe, what we will do and what we won't do, what we will practice and what we won't practice. So having these things clearly defined helps us all be on the same page. So the first thing I want to talk about in the majority of our time today will be that it clarifies our beliefs. It clarifies our beliefs. 
There are some real core beliefs that run through uh, the Bible throughout. And like I said, this is a very big book. It's even a challenging book when you first open it up. It takes uh, years oftentimes to become more and more familiar with every aspect of the Bible. And, and in doing so, we need to summarize those things and lay them out in a way that even a new believer coming in can understand what is it that we believe. So the first thing we talk about, and I'm gonna to touch on, there could be any number of things. We have a number of aspects in our, in our doctrinal statement. But what I wanna talk about today are maybe some of the key issues that cause controversy within the church today. So I'm gonna to touch on just a few of them. There's a lot more I could have. There's more in our doctrinal statement. But again, for time's sake, I'm really focusing more on what's important or, or why we need some of these things than I am uh, being comprehensive about all of it. So one of them is our teaching on scripture. Our teaching on scripture. What do, what do we believe about the Bible? And this is a, uh, a huge issue because what you believe about this book will really determine how you determine what it says and whether you believe it's true or how you interpret it, a whole lot of these different issues that are really important and what our ultimate authority is uh, in the church. I'm gonna quote a few things from different churches, but one of the things I'm gonna quote from is very common to us because many of us have this background. I was a, raised as a Catholic, and so I have a copy of the Catholic Catechism. And so I'm gonna be quoting some things from the Catholic Catechism in terms of their views of scripture, comparing it to ours, and just saying, hey, this is important that we understand the differences because it explains uh, maybe some areas where we are, would be similar and where we would be different from that. So here's what the Catholic Church says coming from, and when I quote these, I'm putting up there, uh, the Catholic Catechism is divided into paragraph numbers. So that number there, 82, tells you what paragraph you can open this up to and read this exact thing. So I could read it to you from here, but I'm putting it up here for you to see, so you can look these up for yourself. It says a part of their belief is, as a result, the church, to whom the transmission and interpretation of revelation is entrusted, does not derive her certainty about all revealed truths from the Holy Scriptures alone. Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. So what the Catholic Church believes is that the Bible is not the only authority. The Bible is one authority, and then church tradition is another authority. And by church tradition, they mean councils or groups that they've had and formed to make decisions on certain truths, and if that group affirms a certain truth, that's their tradition, then that truth has equal authority to what the Bible has. And here's something we have to think about. If the Bible is an authority, you can't have two authorities. Try it, try it in a business, try it in any situation you're in, have two people with exactly equal authority, and you're gonna have contradiction at some point. And that's what happens uh, even in the Catholic Church, is that there's some contradictions, and we'll look at that as we go forward. Our statement, uh, if you look at our doctrinal statement, here's what we affirm as a church. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, through the words of human authors. As the verbally inspired word of God, the Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation, 
and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. So you see that statement there? It's the ultimate authority. Therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. So this is part of what church membership entails. If we don't know where that authority comes from, if it's from multiple sources, and when we join a church, we submit ourselves to the authority of that church, you have to understand whose authority am I falling under? Because if it's you, if it's this book plus some people, then you have to submit to each of those groups. But if it's this book, then we're all under its authority. So even though I play a role and our elders play a role of authority within the church given by the Bible, our authority is underneath the authority of this Bible, which is why in the New Testament, the Bible says it's possible to challenge an elder or a leader in the church and their practice with two witnesses. Meaning if two people have witnessed a leader in the church doing something that opposes the principles of the church, you have the authority to call that leader out because this is our ultimate authority. Very different in other places. So that's important, that's an example. One of the, here's an example of it, of some teachings that are very different. Uh, the next slide is a, a statement about Mary and, and the church's, the Catholic Church's view of, of Mary and how we would view that. It says, finally, the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be the more fully, so that she might be the more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of Lords and conqueror of sin and death. So the Catholic Church believes that Mary was sinless. She was, uh, wasn't, didn't have any sin in her at all, and that after, uh, later in her life, she never died. She was immaculately taken up into heaven and given this exalted place over all things. And now, uh, a lot of their teaching has her as kind of a co-redeemer or someone that you can go to just like you can Jesus. None of that is taught anywhere in the scriptures. You can't find one Bible verse that supports those things. Those are things that the teaching of the church came up with hundreds of years after the New Testament church and have codified and made part of truth, uh, which again allows an organization to add to truth however they would want to and lead people in that kind of a manner. And so we are very different in that, that if, if it's not stated in the scriptures, we can't add to it. Uh, all we can do is interpret and understand what's already read, which is why uh, how you see we, us practice here most of the time as a church, these days are a little bit unique, or today is, because of what we're covering, is we open up the Bible, and my goal is simply to explain to you what it says, not tell you what I think it says, even though I have to interpret it, but to do it in such a way when you leave, you can look at the text and go, yeah, that is what it says. It may not be what we like, but it's what was stated in that passage because we're under the authority of that particular passage. So those are some different teachings uh, that we see that come about as a result of a view that says tradition and scripture are held equally, whereas for us as a church, we would say no, scripture is our only authority. It's important that as you join a church, you understand what they believe about those issues because that's going to affect how you're treated and how that church 
operate. So membership is important to understand what do they believe about these particular issues and are we in unity about them. The next one is our teaching on Jesus Christ. Our teaching on Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot I could say about this, but I'll just share a couple simple examples. This may be uh, one of the key issues uh, uh, you know, with Scripture because Scripture is where we get this information, but then what does Scripture say about the person of Jesus Christ? Probably creates the greatest division or, or differences in different denominations or groups that are out there. In particular, uh, some groups that uh, some would consider to be a cult like the, the Church of the Latter-day Saints or Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Both of them, the way you can identify them, because both of them would have the Bible as one of their documents, but both of them have very different views of Jesus Christ as the Orthodox Christian Church would interpret Jesus in here. In fact, they deny some aspect of who Jesus is. Either they don't believe he was a uh, fully God, they reject the Trinity, and Jesus is just a God, amongst other gods or lesser gods than Jehovah, that's the Jehovah's Witnesses, or they don't believe he was fully man, that he was maybe an angel that was sent that just took on human flesh, but then you know, kind of did his job and went back and we're gonna become like him, some of them would say, and we'll become gods of, of different places and all around, so a lot of that all revolves around who we see Jesus Christ to be and, and what has he come to accomplish. In fact, the way you see Jesus Christ, whether he was fully man and fully God, as we would believe, and that his work, because he was fully God and fully man, can both represent us as fallen humans and he can take our sin because he was fully human and he's capable of living a sinless life and, and redeeming us because he's fully God, that shapes our view of salvation. And meaning, what does it mean to be saved? When you change who Jesus is, you, it always affects our view of salvation. And, and this is where uh, I'll share, I, I kind of always like it when um, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking at the door. Usually the kids will go, hey dad, someone's here, and I'll come over and go, hey, how you doing? I'll strike up a conversation, honestly in love, because a lot of them are deceived by these truths because they don't know what it really says. And, I, and here's how I always approach them. I say, well, t tell me what you're offering today. Tell me, what do you believe about Jesus Christ, and what do you believe about salvation? And I'll ask them, I'll say, do you believe 100% that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? And then none of them can answer that question. They all say no. I still have to do so many works or I have to do so much stuff. Because their view of Jesus is wrong, their view of salvation is wrong. See, if Jesus isn't fully God and fully human, able to fully save us in his work, if we could do it ourselves, then why would God send his son to do what he did? And so I'll ask them that because they, they always say, hey, we have something that's really good for you and it's, it would be great for you, it would be great for your neighbors. And so what I always ask them if after they say that, say, why would I want to receive this? Why would I want to go to tell my neighbors, hey, believe in this religion, but it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to get to heaven. There's no guarantee. You have no idea until your last breath if that's possible for you. What kind of good news is that? You see, the gospel is good news. It's good news because people like you and like me can be saved even in our brokenness. 
It's not good news if it's a whole list of rules that if you don't measure up to these things and you don't come from the right background and you don't have the right socioeconomic class and you don't have the right whatever, that's not good news. No one portrays a whole list of rules as good news. And yet, this is what distinguishes what we believe is a church from many other organizations. And if you don't know that, if you just come in and say, hey, I kind of like the music here, and man, they serve coffee, I think I'll join this church. Let's become a member, yeah. We'd, we'd have absolute chaos if those were the things that determined what we were unifying over. So membership is important because it clarifies some of these core things that come about. Here's another one that's, uh, again, these aren't the most important necessarily, but they're common ones that we see today is our teaching on spiritual gifts. Our teaching on spiritual gifts. There's uh, a lot of different views on this, and we've revised our view because, you know, every church is still in process of understanding what this book actually says. But Here's some things we've uh, put in ours, and, and you can get this again in our doctrinal statement, a lot of scripture up here. Two of the core passages that are really important for the spiritual gifts are 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. And again, understanding the context of them. The book of Corinthians is a book written to a church that was acting extremely immature. Paul is not holding them up as an example to others. He is disciplining them. He, you could say he's spanking them and saying, hey, stop acting like this. This is why. And if you don't understand that in reading it and you don't read the whole thing, you can misinterpret some of the things that are said by taking verses out of context and not seeing the whole thing. So here's what we would affirm as a church. We believe that a spiritual gift is a God-given ability for service for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what those first two passages say. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. That's right from the Bible. However, no single spiritual gift is given to every believer. Therefore, the presence of a certain gift cannot be a sign of salvation. Hey, there are a lot of churches that believe if you don't have a certain spiritual gift, that, that's a sign you're not a believer. But the Bible is very clear in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, and 30 that there's no one gift that everyone has. Paul states it in a very rhetorical uh, question type way of saying, are all apostles? Do all speak in tongues? Do all have the gift of prophecy? And the answer in all those, if you read them in the Greek, is no, 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 no. Meaning there's not one gift that everyone has. Going on, if you look at the next slide, it says, we also believe the scriptures teach that spiritual gifts should be used in an orderly manner, in a corporate setting, and for the purpose of edifying others. So there's 1 Corinthians 14 that addresses that, in particular, those verses. Therefore, the practicing of spiritual gifts in a manner that is not orderly, nor for the purpose of edifying others, will not be allowed in a corporate setting. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 at the end. So we have, as a church, had to revise our view. At one point, our church believed that some spiritual gifts were gone, but you can't find that really in the scriptures either. So instead, we've gone back and saying what is clear in the scripture and what is not. And so we can affirm all the spiritual gifts that the Bible affirms, but the difference is we're gonna practice them, and when we practice them, and if we practice them, they're gonna be done according to the principles that the Bible has, and not according to however we want to or the leaders of the church would want to do so. So those are important things that can cause divisions. You'd be amazed at how many churches divide over this issue. 
And it's interesting is that's exactly what Paul was talking about. If you read those chapters in 1 Corinthians, you can see that Paul is calling out this church because those churches were showing off their spiritual gifts. It was like, hey, if you have this gift, you know, show it off, and it brings a whole lot of attention to you. And Paul was reminding them that these gifts are not for ourselves. These gifts are to build up and edify the church. They were using them kind of like our modern-day NFL football players use their gift, right? You make any tackle, you just do your job, but you got to get up and, and show off and do some kind of dance. And I mean, especially like Steelers, they're just constantly drawing attention to themselves as opposed to God's team that is always humble and bringing attention to, to the Lord. Just saying. As we move on, a couple other issues that are important is the security of the believer, our teaching on the security of the believer. And this really ties back to our teaching on both Jesus and on the gospel. A lot of churches in our community, in fact, the majority of churches in our community, I can say that clearly from their doctrine and their practice, the majority of churches in our community do not believe a Christian can be secure in their salvation. That once you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, and I'm not talking about just saying it or showing up and hanging around people, but you've actually had a true conversion where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, and you've experienced the grace of him changing you in that way and being born again, that once that happens, the Bible makes it very clear that that person cannot, cannot be anything but saved. They can make some good choices and bad choices along the way, and their journey may be a little bit up and down, but if they're truly God's, then he will finish what he started. And we believe that as a church, and that's a very uh, important truth uh, that we affirm as, as a church here that many churches don't accept. So again, what is membership? It's being unified on these things. We don't force anyone to become a member, but when a person says, yes, I wanna be on this team, I wanna be part of this family and benefit from this family, we wanna make sure that we're unified in what that means. Last two things, and these are a little shorter. It clarifies our purpose. It clarifies our purpose. For us, uh, our purpose statement is based off the Great Commission, which is the ultimate biblical uh, purpose statement to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's kind of Jesus' big mission, the Great Commission. And we've just kind of taken that and contextualized it specifically for us. Jesus was sending the apostles out into the whole world because at that time the gospel existed basically within Jerusalem and he was telling them go out to all the nations. The gospel has spread in many ways to everywhere on the globe. There's still pockets that people are being sent but as a church we're responsible primarily for the pocket in which we're in and then can send people beyond that as well. So our, our statement is this in terms of our, our purpose statement. Next slide please says, uh, leading our city into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. So this is something we agree to as a church. When you come and you become a member, you're making that your purpose and our purpose. We're not a social organization. It doesn't mean we don't address social issues, but our primary focus is not to be a social uh, organization and just address social needs in our community. Our primary purpose is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. We will never transform this world 
to be as good as we want it to be. And that's not an excuse for us to make it a better place. It's a reality that, that this world is never going to be what God intends it to be until the Lord Jesus comes back and sets it that way. So until that time, the greatest gift you can give any other person in this city is a relationship with Jesus Christ because then no matter what happens to them in this world, they're prepared for the next one for all of eternity. And so this helps us stay focused and not get distracted as a church with all kinds of good things we could be about and not doing the most important thing. And then lastly, it clarifies some of our core values, helps us clarify some of our core values. And we share more of these and all these in our uh, membership class as well as our new attenders reception. We talk about some of these, but I'll just touch on a couple of them uh, for today. Three of them in particular, I think, are important. One of them is we value being a community, meaning a church, that accepts people in all circumstances while helping them grow in obedience to Christ. One of the weaknesses of the modern-day church is this issue. We've become a really uh, goody-choo-choos kind of organization, meaning if you don't act like us, if you don't dress like us, if you don't already think like us, then we're not really comfortable having you here. And that's just not how church started. That's not even how Jesus ministered. I love this quote. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller, a pastor in New York who wrote a book called The Prodigal God, and I love his thoughts about church and I think this has shaped a lot of us as a church and, and the decisions we make here. He says this, he says, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. We tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic-type people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and marginal avoid church. They can only, that can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the message that Jesus did. This is one of the things that I love about this church. This is one of the reasons we've been willing to stay here for as long as we have when we are kind of outsiders ourselves. is because I don't know where I'll find another church that loves people whose lives are messed up the moment they come in here. And I can look around this church and I can look in the mirror because I know my journey as well and I can see how many people's lives were an absolute mess when they first visited this church and watch how God has put them back together, how he's restored marriages, how he's restored individuals, how he's restored families and totally changed people. And that's because of this value, a value that says, hey, I'm not looking for the nice, neat people to invite. And that's to say that they don't need Christ as well. They're welcome to come, any of them are. But that's what churches are typically comfortable with. It's why we do a lot of the things that, that may be seeming kind of irreligious to you. We talk about football or we make silly jokes, not because we are irreverent toward God, but because we want to connect with real people where they're at 
at those moments, but when it comes to talking about God, we're extremely serious. We wanna be a church that welcomes people no matter where they're at and helps them grow as they come to know Jesus Christ as their savior, important value. Second one that we talk about, we value moving people into small group communities for spiritual growth and support. There's lots of different ways churches have tried to grow people up. Sometimes it all revolves around the pastors and you come to the classes here and we do everything, but we don't believe that's the way the church was designed to be. We believe, if you think of the team metaphor of fans and the bleachers, players on the field and coaches, that pastoral staff are designed to be coaches. We should not be doing all the ministry. We should be coaching people to do the ministry. The Bible calls you all the body of Christ and teachers are there to build up the body of Christ for the work of ministry. And so we want to move you into groups where you learn how to minister to one another and be who God's called us to be as a body. We're just one part of this great organization that God calls his church. And so that's a value for us, to get you into a place where you can grow with others. The last one is we value change over tradition for the sake of being effective at our mission. This does not mean we don't value tradition, but again, as we've heard, tradition can be these things that we've always done as a church, nothing wrong with that, but we're not talking about traditions in the Bible. We're not gonna throw away things that the Bible says we're supposed to do. Those aren't traditions, those are scriptural commands. But in terms of traditions and how we do it, the style of music we might have, or how we dress, or how we format our services, none of which are forced to us in the scriptures, we're willing to change those as much as we need to in order to be more effective at reaching our community. And I'll tell you, one thing that will happen as you stay in grace longer is the older you get, the less comfortable you're gonna become with our traditions. I'm just telling you, I'm there already. When I came in, I was in what would be culturally the sweet spot. I was in my early 30s. And at that point, those are kind of the shapers of culture. Everyone's listening to the music you like, they're dressing the way you like. And and so yeah, I love that we are contemporary because it's exactly what I liked. But I'm not 32 anymore, I'm like 36 now. (laughs) You guys have all aged a lot quicker than I have. And what I realize is the younger people who are, we're trying to reach in a lot of ways that next generation so this church continues, their style of music is different, their dress is different, you know, a lot of their things are different. Again, we're not gonna violate these principles, but I'm not as comfortable in my style as I was when I first came. And that's okay, because I'm not trying to reach me. I'm not trying to reach people just like me. I'm not trying to reach people that already know the truth. We're the mature ones, and we should give way to those who need to be reached in our city, because that's what Jesus did when he came down. He took on our flesh, he took on our customs, and he became what we needed so that we could have a relationship with him. These are things that are important to us as a church. And we wanna make sure as people come and commit to this body, that they understand who we are. Because the more united we are, the more we'll honor God, the more we'll respect and honor each other, and the more we'll be able to love our city and lead them into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. 
Church membership is intended to provide this clarity so that you know exactly what you're committing to. When you commit to someone, when you commit to something, it's important that you both know what that is so that all the expectations are clear and and why we exist is very clear. My prayer is that as we continue through this series, that we would each grow as individual members. Or if you're not a member, that you would come to realize the importance of that commitment, that committing to God and committing to a, a local group of people who are an expression of the greater church in our community will shape you and mold you and help you become the person that God wants you to become and I believe that you want to become. That's my prayer for our church as we walk through this. I think we'll be a healthier church and a better place for our community as we do. Let's pray. Father, we love you and and praise you and just thank you for this body. I could spend hours sharing how your local church has been so important in my life. How it's spoken truth into my life when I needed to hear it. How it's been an anchor for me when I've wanted to stray or been tempted to stray. How it's been a a focus for me when things got tough and I wanted to bail. And I thought about the relationships that I'd be bailing on just besides you, Lord, the tangible people that are right here shoulder to shoulder with me. And I can't think of any other group of people that I want to spend my time with on this earth. So, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of what a gift your church is, how important she is. And and we commit and we want details and we want specifics about our commitments in so many areas of our lives and yet when it comes to church we often don't think twice Lord this was the most important thing on Jesus mind apart from you when he was on this earth and so if it was that important for him Lord let us be that important for us in Jesus name we pray Amen.